Well, liturgically, obviously, we're well into our new year, starting with Advent 1, but Happy New Year as, as well as far as the rest of the world goes. It is the new year of uh, and 2021, and we're glad to be a part of it. I hope you had a good celebration of holidays. It's great to be back. Jody and I got to get away for a few days and uh, get some perspective, some distance on Gainesville and all the craziness of the world, and it was, it was good, so, but it's good to be home as well. Well, just to remind you, uh, the season of, of Christmas is 12 days, thus the carol, the you know, 12 days of Christmas, and uh, this is the second Sunday of Christmas, and, and I love the fact that we spread it out, not just because we get to sing all these amazing Christmas carols that you heard today, but also because we get to really see the Christmas story from all or several aspects, not all aspects. We take lots and lots of weeks to do that. First, we looked at Luke 2 on Christmas Eve, and we saw really primarily from Mary's perspective uh, the birth of Christ, what happened, you know, sort of the, 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 the news, the, the, the newspaper, this is the account, what happened. And then, of course, last week, Father James preached to you from 1 John, and we get the what it meant, the, the behind the scenes, the, the what, what's actually happening behind the scenes. Why, if you will. And today, we get to look at the result of what happened at the birth of Christ. The result. And namely, just to put it out there, the, what the result was is that the Gentile world began to get involved in the Christmas narrative. To understand a little about this Messiah, the Christ who's been born into the world, Jesus And of course, and so the Magi come representing the Gentile peoples. And looking out at this room, I would guess that 99.9% of us are not Jewish. We are Gentile. And so this is where we all come into the story. This is where we enter into it along with the Magi. And I want you to see them in that light this morning. They may be Persian in origin. They may be, uh, they may be Babylonian in origin. We're not exactly sure. They come from the east. So they, we know that the Persians were probably the ones who kind of coined that phrase that we get magi from, meaning like magician or astrologers. They were perhaps philosophers, wise men, probably not kings, although I noticed that we have crowns in our pictures back there. I was always fascinated by the, by the wise men in the nativity scene when I was a little kid. Um, it was interesting because I, I, I loved, it was the, the only black guy at the, at the birth of Jesus was one of those kings. Of course, we know that really that they were all brown-skinned people, so, but this is the, you know, Western version of the nativity scene that I had. But I, I was always fascinated by the magi, and, and so it's interesting to, to look at them and to understand a little bit more of them. How interesting that they might be magicians, definitely astrologers, uh, not at all Jewish, Gentile in origin, and coming seeking the true king. Not unlike the queen of Sheba who comes to visit Solomon. Remember that account from the Old Testament when the queen of Sheba comes? And what does she do? She brings gifts to Solomon and she comes to learn of his wisdom and to study at his feet and then goes back home. She brings costly gifts. It's not surprising that Herod the king, who's really a usurper of of the throne, he's not of the lineage of David, He's he's not really of royal blood in the sense that he's a descendant of King David, 
but he has assumed the throne and he is alarmed and not at all happy with the fact that there's these, these guys from the east who are claiming that, the, in fact, the, the promised Messiah. Herod knew enough to knew that there was going to be a, a legitimate heir to the throne. Um, this is where Tolkien gets, you know, in his Lord of the Rings trilogy, the idea, you know, the steward, right, of Gondor, I think it is. And then, and then the king returns, right? And so it's that same kind of thing. And if you, if you know that, the movie versions or if you've read the books, you know that the, the steward is not at all happy with the idea that perhaps the true king is coming to his throne. But God uses in his divine sovereignty... God uses even this false king to bring about his plan. He moves, and I want you to hear, he uses the false king, he uses all things to bring about his plan. He first moves the holy family from Bethlehem to Egypt, which we'll read about in the rest of chapter 2, and then eventually back, not to Bethlehem, not to Judea, but up to Galilee, to Nazareth, which is part Galilee's. Uh, where Nazareth is located. And it, you may recall that Galilee is referred to commonly in Jesus' time as Galilee of the Gentiles. It is not by coincidence that, that God in his sovereignty has seen foot to take the Holy Family and place them among Gentile peoples that Jesus would not just be the Lord and King of the Jewish people, but of all the nations, all tongues, tribes, and people groups. God is sovereign in this account. I want you to hear that this morning. God is sovereign in this account. Take Psalm 84 that we read and go home and meditate on it this week. How encouraging is it as we come together as the people of God to hear God's promises declared in Psalm 84 that we read together. And how promising is it that we read this account and see God is in control. He's leading these wise men. He's also going to lead Joseph to take the family down to, to Egypt and then back, not to Jerusalem but or Judea, but to, to Nazareth in Galilee. The Lord is in control. Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. If there's ever a time we need to re keep reminding ourselves, if, if I, as I sat in a cabin on a mountain in North Carolina, I know I'm blessed to be able to do that and, and be there for a few days and get some perspective on all this craziness down here. It's to realize that these are all these circumstances are opportunities to trust the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. To acknowledge him and know that he will direct our paths. To know that God is ultimately in control of all the circumstances of not only the holy family in this narrative but, and the wise men, but also we as God's people in our day and time. God is sovereign in this account. And Herod, the false king, can't prevent it. As a matter of fact, he becomes a pawn in God's ultimate purposes to bring about his will for the holy family. Secondly, I want you to see that Jesus, that God is bringing the nations to Jesus, represented by these magi, 
And he's also bringing Jesus to the nations when they return to Nazareth of Galilee. The Epiphany season, which we'll be entering into in a few days, uh, is, is the season of, of remembrance that, that Christ has come for all people, tongues, tribes, and nations. It's a time for us to reflect again on what Matthew's gospel at the end, Matthew 28, not by coincidence, Matthew says, go ye therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all nations. We are to remember that we are simply a representative of the body of Christ throughout the world and throughout time. Last Christmas, too, you heard from uh, a friend of mine, David Sandifer. He and his wife are now in um, Amsterdam teaching at Tyndall Seminary there, teaching future pastors and missionary leaders. And, uh, and David actually talked to us about um, God's sovereignty and talked about his own medical condition and how he, he trusted in the Lord. And, and then in, in January, I had Father Brian it was with uh, Gospel for Asia Ministry talking about the work of the church in, in India and, and the thousands and thousands of pastors and missionaries that are working there in India to bring the gospel. And, and all, all these things are always reminding us of the world around us, that we're a part of a worldwide communion, not just as Anglican Christians, but as, as Christians in the world, we're, we're called to remember the, the nations, the tongues and tribes and people groups that are around us. Jesus has the nations coming to him at his birth, and he brings Jesus to the nations in Galilee, and he calls us continually to be aware of the nations around us. We're uniquely privileged in Gainesville because all you have to do is go to Walmart on a, on a Friday night and you see the nations, you see the peoples of the world. It, it is like the United Nations. It, it really is. Even in a, in a pandemic time, they're, they're, they're wearing masks, but, but you see the nations. I mean, I, I would love to know, you know, maybe just to like lock the doors, probably a little scary, but, and just ask, okay, what country are you from? And what, you know, and just find out how many people groups are actually represented in the Gainesville Walmart on a Friday night. It's the nations coming to us, right? And we need to be aware of them and engaged and seeking to understand that, that we're, to, we're to bring the good news to those and we're to be aware that God is at work in those people groups as well as our own. God is sovereign in the account. He is bringing the nations to Jesus. Lastly, worship is the center, the end, and the shape of this passage. It's all about these magi coming into the presence of the Christ child and worshiping. What are we told? They're overwhelmed with joy at the, at the, at the encounter with Jesus. I don't, you know, I, just as I was this morning, last week I was out of town, I, I was excited to be back with you, to be back with the people of God. I was joyful to see your faces and to be around you and to, and to worship with you and to be filled with joy. Oh, that our, our worship was always so joy-filled as the Magi experience as they come into the presence of Christ. They're, they fall down 
They fall on their faces before Christ because they're aware that they're in the presence of a holy God. Are we aware that as we, we walk in here this morning, it's not just each other that we're singing to, that we're not just saying liturgy to one another, but, but in fact we're saying it before a holy and righteous God who is gracious with his presence and comes to be with us through his Holy Spirit. They're not put off by the humility of the circumstances. This is a poverty class, holy family. These are poor people. Christ is born in humility and they're not put off by it. They're not scandalized by it. They're not, they're not offended by it. They, they come to worship the Christ child and they come bringing costly gifts, offerings of themselves, their life and their labor their talents and their abilities, they come and bring those before the Christ child. Expressions of gratitude for all that God has done in allowing them to glimpse the coming of his kingdom. <laughs> now, they don't stay there. They return home, and we don't really hear anything else about them. But we know that they've encountered Christ, and we get a little bit of a hint that they've moved closer to a, a personal encounter with God. Because before, remember, they're, they're led by the star. But as they leave, it's a dream that directs them not to go back to Herod, but to go another way. So God is beginning to communicate them not simply through a star, whatever that was, whatever the astrological event happened, but that they are being led by dreams. And either, either they're all dreaming the same dream, or one of them dreams the dream and the others have a, a, kind of a confirmation of that dream. But they're led by God back another way, safely to return, forever changed, I believe, because they encountered Christ. My prayer is that we too, week by week, would be so shaped by our worship together. Over... Uh, my time away, I've been reading for my doctoral class that I'm taking uh, week after next on, on Zoom all week. Yay me. How much fun is that going to be? But, um, but as I prepare for it, you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. But I, one of the books I'm reading is by a guy named James Smith. It's called Desiring the Kingdom. And I was really stuck by his, one of the passages where he talks about the church and I think this is one of those things that I really want to focus in on 2021. He says, the church is a society of those who've been chosen, redeemed, called, justified, or being sanctified until the day they will be glorified. That's kind of standard stuff. You've, you probably know that. But this is the part that really grabbed me. Gathering indicates that Christians are called from the world, from their homes, from their families, to be constituted into a community capable of praising God. The church is constituted as a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are in fact one people. It is a foretaste of the unity of the communion of the saints. Where else do we gather in such diversity? We don't agree on a lot of things, but we come to bear witness to the goodness of God in Christ. 
and to celebrate Jesus together. As we begin 2021, this is my prayer for all of us, that we will be shaped week by week by our worship together, that we'll be shaped by it. Even though we have such a small sliver of our total hours of the week together, that we would be shaped by our time together. And secondly, that our eyes would be opened to have hearts for the peoples of the nations, not only around the globe, but in our own Walmart as we encounter and pray for them and seek God's will and grace in their lives. And lastly, that we would learn to trust his sovereignty, trust in his sovereign control in whatever 2021 brings. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, make it so in our lives, we pray. Amen.